HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network with me, Erica Wides, your host. After all these years, I still love that theme song. It really holds up. I love it. So, remember the episode of Seinfeld about Bizarro World? You remember that one? Bizarro World. Bizarro World was the world in which everything was the opposite of what it seemed to be. Up was down, in was out, black was white. It was a, it was actually a Superman reference. I had to look this up. I knew it had something to do with Superman, but um, Jerry Seinfeld is a massive Superman fan, so I had to look it up. And it turns out there was a DC comic book hero called Bizarro. He was Superman's opposite. Thanks, Wikipedia. I had no idea. Yeah, he was Superman's opposite, and he lived on a planet that I can't pronounce because it was Earth spelled backwards. How do you pronounce that? Hertier. Anyway, I didn't know all this, but I do remember Bizarro World because I have watched Seinfeld nonstop basically since it went on the air in whenever that was, 1989, 90. So in this particular Seinfeld episode, um, Bizarro World came up because various, you know, hijinks, shenanigans, things happen. Elaine breaks up with a guy who says they should just be friends, and then he turns out to be this, like, incredibly good friend like bizarro world version of Jerry, who's kind of a mean narcissistic friend. And she then befriends his friends who are these weird, like mirror images of George and Kramer, but like really nice and thoughtful. And like they read books and you have to watch it. It's a good one, but it, it all happens because George decides that up until this point in his life, 
everything he's done has been a mistake or has been wrong. And he was now going to do the opposite of every urge or instinct or thought that came into his head, whatever he thought he would do the opposite. So no trusting of instincts in Bizarro World. Up was down, night was day, ketchup was salsa. Oh, no, wait a minute. That's not right. That was a different episode about the ketchup and the salsa. Sorry, I'm getting my episodes mixed up. He even orders chicken salad instead of his standard tuna salad at the coffee shop. Bizarro world. And George Costanza was a serious creature of habit. So things must have been really bizarro for him to do that, to change his daily coffee shop lunch order. Now, I used to make Seinfeld references all the time when I taught at the big unnamed culinary school where I worked for 15 years. Because you can't, I can't get through a day without making a Seinfeld reference. It's like a part of my, you know, my vocabulary. It's a part of me. It's my, it's my culture. culture. And for like the first decade that I taught there, which was like, you know, from 98 to 2008, my students would get the references. I would make a Seinfeld reference. They would get the reference and they would laugh along with me or not at me, with me. And, you know, we'd all chuckle knowing and look at each other knowingly. We all got it. We were all in on the joke. But then the laughs and the looks of recognition started to trickle off gradually because my students got younger and I got older, which is what happens when you teach. And nobody got my references anymore, which was really, really sad because I felt like I was now living in my own private bizarro world, my own private Idaho. See, there's another joke that you don't get if you're not old enough. Own private Idaho. My own private bizarro world. And nobody got it anymore. Because I, you know, I assumed in this private bizarro world that everyone else had seen every episode multiple times and knew all the jokes and still watched the reruns on, you know, Pix 11 at night. Because I don't have cable. But no, they hadn't. They don't watch them. They hadn't watched them. They didn't get them. They weren't even like born yet. When the show went off the air, it was very disturbing. I have to say, I had entered the world in which everything you think is right is wrong. Bizarro world. I was spe- it was like I was speaking a dead language, like Cornish or Manx, which technically are not dead languages, by the way, just obscure ones. People do still speak Cornish and Manx. Google it. It's actually quite fascinating. Yeah, but I was in Bizarro World in which everything you think is right is wrong. And it really like rocks the ground upon which you stand, shakes you to the core. Or is it that everything you've been told to think is right is wrong? Is it everything you think or everything you've been told to think? Hmm. Let's investigate that. Do you think the things that you think are right are right? Because you really do know that they're right? Like instinctively in your gut from 100,000 years of human experience and history? Or is it just that the accumulated knowledge in your head comes from a lifetime of listening to so-called experts and authority figures? Not including me, of course, because I'm always right. Well, usually. And ignoring your built-in instincts. I don't know. For how many decades, for example... Did we all think, OMG, I have to really watch my cholesterol, for example, because some industry slash government funded 
doctor, said your cholesterol was a little high and that that was a really bad thing that would kill you. So throw away those egg yolks and only eat the fat-free artificially sweetened yogurt and take the skin off your chicken. Wrong, wrong, wrong. People all wrong. Even Michael Bloomberg, the richest man in the, in the world, well, not quite, but close, and former mayor of New York, three-term mayor, illegal three-term mayor, Michael Bloomberg was a guest at an event that I was chefing a few years ago when I was still teaching. And at this event, we made all this roast chicken with this like delicious crispy skin on it, the best part. And Michael Bloomberg, in his sort of Napoleon-esque way, was walking around, going over to the buffet, stealing all the skin off all of the chicken and eating it with his fingers because he was the mayor of New York. He could eat all the skin off the chicken. Or so he thought. Now, I reprimanded him. I was not afraid of him. He's very short, by the way. I reprimanded him for stealing all the skin off all the chicken, not because of any stupid ideas about cholesterol, because I don't believe those, and I love chicken skin, and it's delicious, but because he was being gross and rude. And he said, oh, in that fetchy voice of his, oh, if my cardiologist knew I was doing this, he would kill me right now. And I said, well, your cardiologist is wrong, you know, Mayor Bloomberg. You should probably get yourself a better doctor. He just ignored me and walked away and kept eating the chicken skin. But even Michael Bloomberg was victim to that half century of lies of low fat and fake fat propaganda that we finally seem to have moved out of. But how do you become mayor of New York if you're susceptible to that kind of double speak or double think? Well, we all bought it, right? We all bought that misinformation, even me. And now... Look who's done a total 180 on their own terrible advice, none other than the U.S. government. Yes, the perpetrators of a half century of terrible nutrition advice based on sketchy, flawed, and sometimes fabricated research, always, have now said, oh wait, it's actually okay for you to eat whole eggs and cheese and meat and shellfish, which I always thought was a totally ridiculous thing to tell people to limit, but just not too much meat. And I can't believe the lobbyists for the Cattlemen's Beef Association, which is the marketing group behind America's beef industry, allowed that tidbit of language to sneak in there. The bit about not too much meat. How would they even let them say that? It really is bizarro world now. I Like, my mind is reeling. My earth is rocked. It is bizarro world now because they've even said to limit sugar. 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 The U.S. government saying limit sugar. The crop, which we, you know, basically wanted to go in and kill Castro to get control of, sugar. Which is total bizarre world, because the last time the government revised their nutrition guidelines, the sugar marketing board went nuts and forced them to change the language about sugar to vague suggestions about smarter choices. Re-sugar. How can people know what a smarter choice is or what any sort of limit is if they don't even know what the baseline or maximum should be? Make smarter choices. Limit amounts. Well, how do you know what that is if you don't have a baseline or a max, right? I don't know wh where I fall in that. Does limiting sugar mean two cans of Coke versus four cans of Coke a day or does it mean no Coke? A little more information here, people, please. Well, now we have some of it. Not that people will pay any attention to it, of course. I mean, the same medical industrial groups who brought us smoking as an asthma cure, which it used to be touted as, oh, we should smoke as an asthma cure, is now telling us to limit sugar. And while I totally agree about the sugar, as you all know, I am very down on sugar, seriously, who is listening to a government who is also still telling us to cook pork to 160 degrees? Blech. Who wants to eat pork until they 
cook to that degree until they breed the fat back into those poor, lean pigs. I'm cooking my pork to 135 degrees max. Nobody tells me how to cook my pork, damn it. U.S. off my tenderloins. Freedom of internal temps for everyone. Medium rare pork people unite. Call Rand Paul. This is an issue about our freedom here, people. Okay, we're going to take a break. I have to calm down. We'll be right back. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Cane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. To learn more about us, go to Cane5.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network with me, Erica Weitz. I like that background music now for the Cane Vineyard ad. That's nice. Very that was Ball of Flame, Shoot Fire. Whoa. It's such That's a pep... the band. Oh, it's a very peppy song for a name like that. That sounds sort of like hell. I like that. Anyway, welcome back to Let's Get Real. Um, have you been reading my Huffington Post columns lately, people? Probably not because I didn't do one for a couple months because I kept submitting and they kept rejecting. I don't understand. They were rejecting my columns. I think because I was naming names. I was mentioning name brands too much and I don't think they like that. But I have a new one up as of last week and it's pretty freaking funny, I must say. So um, check it out. Huffington Post, I guess, just slash Erica Wides. I'm sure you can figure it out. Oh, there's probably a link to it on my website. Let's get real so let's get back to, to Bizarro World here. Let's discuss some other Bizarro World stuff that's made its way down to the shelter this week. Even deep down underground here in the Foodiness Fallout Shelter, things make their way down. We do have high-speed internet down here, so we have access to the outside world, even though we have cut ourselves off in almost every other way. But once you have the internet, what else do you need, right? Now, every few days, we do climb up the stairs up to the surface, and we pop our heads up. Like the groundhog, we pop our heads up and we look around to see what's going on in the world of food, foodiness, and food news. And there are a few very interesting tidbits this week. Although just when I said that about popping our heads up like the groundhog, I think I what I meant, like a prairie dog pops up its head. And then I thought about the groundhog that last year, our new mayor, de Blasio, dropped and then it died, which was did not bode well for the groundhog rights crowd. Well... Oh, well, we should have eaten that groundhog. Anyway, a couple of really interesting things have happened lately in food and foodiness. And um, let's talk about them. Now, you know, we have like a whole staff. There's like a whole crew down here in the shelter. It's not just me and Jack alone. There's a whole bunch of people. And one of those people is our resident nutrition expert, Kristen Mortman, who has been on the show quite a few times, but who has not been on in a while. And I mean, don't get excited. She's not here today. Because she escaped the frozen hell of New York for sunny California. Smart lady. But she's going to come back on, hopefully, in the next couple of weeks. We haven't had her on in a long time. To hash out some of these things in her much more educated, articulate, and less emotional way than me. That she has. She also has a book deal. And we want to talk about her book now. No, I'm not jealous. It's okay. 
But for now, I'm all you've got. So you're just going to have to deal with me and my emotional ranting and raving, but that's okay. I can talk about nutrition also, although, you know, believe it or not, I'm no expert. I just play one on internet radio, but you're all listening. Okay, so now let's take a poll. Who knows a kid with food allergies? Who knows a kid with food allergies? Everybody raise your hands. Oh, I see a lot of hands up out there. Everyone's raising their hands. Everyone knows a kid with food allergies because it seems like every kid has food allergies. Now, my sister, who was born in 1965, had terrible food allergies when we were little, but it was a rare thing. She seemed to be one of the, the exception. I don't know why she got them. I had none at all. No allergies at all. None. Nope. Mm-mm. But she had to go see Dr. Lippitz, the allergist, every week for shots. Now, it seemed to me like every week for a decade, although it probably wasn't. It was probably every week for just a couple of years. And it sucked for her. I mean, think about it, getting a shot every week. And I got dragged along, but I was just happy because I was the somewhat ignored, non-allergic younger sister who just went along on the trips but was spared the weekly jabs. But I got to sit in the waiting room and read Highlights magazine. Highlights magazine. It was like the dumbest magazine for kids ever. Goofus and Gallant. Who gives a crap? Anyway, my sister eventually outgrew her food allergies, which apparently does happen. A lot of kids outgrow them. I'm not sure if it was the shots or it was just, you know, adulthood. But I'm sure Dr. Lippitz knew just what he was doing in 1970. He was a doctor, after all. And he was really, really good at giving her her shots with one hand while he held his cigarette in the other hand, it was the 1970s. He knew what he was doing. So yesterday, I'm driving up to Greenwich, Connecticut to teach my group of idle rich ladies how to cook, which I do once a month. It's like Stepford, but kind of in a like post-post-feminist way. I don't even know what that means. It's like Stepford. But actually, I think Greenwich is the town that Stepford was really based on. The original Stepford, not the Nicole Kidman Stepford. Now, I go there, like I said, once a month to teach these nice ladies basic family-friendly recipes that then they can fob off onto their housekeepers who would then make them for the kids while the parents go out to eat in really fancy restaurants in New York. No, not really. Not really. Most of them are actually really nice, and they are genuinely interested in cooking. Or at least that's what I keep telling myself because they keep paying me to come up, so I have to be nice. Because if I keep telling myself the opposite of what I actually think, maybe I can will it all to come true, right? That's the true power of positive thinking and all that. You just lie to yourself. It turns out that chronic optimists are actually more prone to depression. (laughs) So take that, chipper people. But just keep lying to yourself. It's okay. Anyway, Greenwich really is bizarro world, too. Because if you landed there as an alien from another planet, as opposed to, like, an illegal alien who goes to, you know, cut their grass or feed their children. No, an alien from another planet. You would think that all Earthlings were female, blonde, size 2, and lived in 20,000 square foot houses. That's what you would think. Although being from another planet, you'd have to convert that square foot measurement to square meters as even other universes use the metric system. We're the only holdouts of the imperial system left in the universe in the solar system. It was Ronald Reagan who put the brakes on the planned conversion in 1980. Did you know that? 
Mm-hmm. He equated the metric system with socialism, which would not do in Reagan's America. So we kept the feet and the ounces and the cups. And as an out-of-universe visitor to Greenwich, Connecticut, you'd never, ever know that there was any poverty or slums or suburban tract houses or even a middle class on planet Earth or any cars smaller than a Mercedes SUV or any TVs smaller than 100 inches or even any teeth that weren't absolutely perfectly straight and blindingly white. Oh, you might see a little woman with darker skin scurrying around the periphery of the big house, you know, sweeping or dusting. But those are just another species that they've tamed to do their manual labor there. They're not exactly considered human. Oh, wait a minute. Why isn't I talking about food allergies? Where are we going with this? So, yeah, food allergies. So, anyway, I'm driving to Connecticut. And I'm listening to NPR, of course, like a good East Coast liberal. And also because my car is so old that it only has a radio, like a real radio, AM, FM radio that picks up terrestrial radio wave signals. That's what we had before Internet radio. Yeah, it's an antique, my car. It's a 2002 Subaru Forester. But it's awesome. Now, on NPR is a piece about dishwashers and childhood food allergies dishwashers, and their connection to childhood food allergies. Now, we've all heard of the hygiene hypothesis, right? Of course you've heard of the hygiene hypothesis. You probably listen to NPR too, right, when you're not listening to HRN. Those are the only two radio stations that matter. Well, the hygiene hypothesis says that the reason all of our kids are now allergic to everything is because they're raised in environments that are too clean. Kids don't crawl around outside in the dirt as babies anymore amongst farm animals, eating whatever they want to eat and put in their mouths and picking up all sorts of bacteria and parasites and microorganisms and worms, which kids used to do, and that our houses are too clean and we sterilize the crap out of everything they touch, meaning that kids aren't exposed to any sort of dirt or bacteria. And researchers now find, along with that, that in houses without dishwashers, the machines, not the employed people, kids tend to have far fewer food allergies. Isn't that amazing? No dishwasher, fewer food allergies. In hand washing of dishes, you leave just enough bacteria behind that the kids' immune systems are triggered to develop antibodies that could be protecting them from developing allergies. Amazing. Because when you wash your dishes by hand, you never get the water as hot as a machine is going to get. And you never have that blast of heat to dry the dishes. And if you're like me when you hand wash your dishes, you're not exactly meticulous. Look how healthy I am, right? I have a dishwasher, but I almost always just use it as a big drying rack for my hand-washed stuff because I never have enough dirty stuff to fill it up. And I have such deep eco guilt that I can't run it partially empty, so I rarely run it at all. It's really too bad I never had kids for so many reasons, but so that I could now have yet another reason to feel smug and superior when they turned out to be not allergic to anything. Oh, well, that ship sailed a long time ago. Now, what does this have to do with food and foodiness, the two pillars of Let's Get Real? Well, directly, not that much, but indirectly, it yet again proves how utterly removed we are from the gritty processes and earthly dirtiness of our food. Now, the study also said that families who eat fermented foods, hello, kimchi and sauerkraut, and buy some of their food directly from farms or farmers, tended to have fewer allergies too. 
Now, I've always thought, I always say this, and I've always thought that letting some of your food sit around a little too long for comfort in your fridge or on your counter, just a little too long, is a good thing because it lets that bacterial load build up just enough to trigger that immune response in yourself. We are a weak, sad bunch of Westerners, and it's starting to really show. Eat some dirt, America. Stop cleaning your houses so much. Put down the Clorox and the Lysol and the OxyClean. Fire your household staff. Let the dirt rain. It totally works for me. All right, another quick break. We'll be back with more Bizarro World. This one's called The Crying Blues by the California Honey Drops. Welcome back to, where are we? Oh, let's get real. <laughs> I forgot where I was for a minute. I'm getting old. The cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network with me, Erica Wise, your host. Now talk about Bizarro World, which is what we're talking about today. When food and farming and household management and all of that went all sciencey on us, domestic sciences, and we left behind the ways of doing things that had worked just fine up until then, then being the 1920s, when all things scientific started getting way in the way of tradition. That sentence was not grammatically correct. Oh, well. Uh, in the 1920s, when things got all sciencey, it was the beginning of the era of suburbanization and supermarkets and industrial food processing and consolidated industrial farming. And all those things kind of killed off a lot of traditional ways and practices and ushered in the era of the hyper-clean home, the suburban, hyper-clean, brand-new, non-rural home, the over-processed food product, the pesticide, herbicide, and fertilizer-loaded modern farm. Now, I'm not saying I want to go back to pre-industrial ways, not completely. I mean, you know I love Little House on the Prairie. And you know Laura Ingalls is my pretend BFF. But I like my central heat and my AC and eating an orange in January and drinking tea in North America. All of those things would not be possible without industrialization. I just think we need to ease up a little on the industrial stuff and re-embrace the dirt. In my personal bizarro world... Babies would be, put, would be put in special playpens, which had dirt floors and baby goats in them. Now, forget the plastic, like, pack-and-play or the actual, like, padded cell mesh-sided pens in which my generation grew from infant to toddlerhood in. The playpen. Weird idea. It's like a little cage for a baby. I would create a special enclosed area for crawling infants. I would bring in dirt from farms, organic only, of course, throw in a few baby goats or lambs with them and put baby humans in there. And then the baby humans could crawl around in the dirt and snuggle up with the little baby goats and lambs and get their immunity built up, blocking those allergens, making healthy kids. And you could even bring over like an adult you or an adult sheep to nurse all of the babies, human or animal. Why not? Sheep's milk and goat milk is very similar to human milk, way better than cow's milk. Then human mom would be freed up to go to spin class and get green juice with all their friends and hang out in Greenwich and drink the afternoon away. See? 
my ideas work. And so that brings me to the final stop of Let's Get Real's trip to Bizarro World. Again, an NPR story yesterday about peanuts and peanut allergies. Mm-hmm. Is there not a child alive in the U.S. today who is either allergic to peanuts or who has a good buddy who is? Yeah, everybody. And why? Well, there could be many, many reasons. GMOs, chemicals in farming, Roundup, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But in another new study, it turns out, of course, of course, that exposing babies to peanuts at as early as four months and then continually feeding them peanut products into toddlerhood works to avoid developing peanut allergies. But what have we been doing? We've been telling parents to completely avoid and eliminate all peanut products until the kid is like five years old, including telling pregnant women not to eat peanut products. So then the kid is like five years old. Suddenly they come in contact with a peanut and massive allergy. Yet again, we have the freak out and avoid approach to stuff instead of the rational, gradual exposure approach to stuff. The freak out and avoid approach backfires, makes us all sick. Like freaking out and avoiding fat, which made people eat way more carbs and sugar, which made us fatter and sicker and have more heart disease and diabetes. Thanks, science. Oh, wait, not science. Thanks, industry-funded, corrupt USDA and FDA. Here in Bizarro World, we let industry tell science what to think and say. That's how we do it here in the U.S. of A. To all of which I simply say, eat some dirt, America. That's the new way. Yes, I am a poet. Yes, I do know it. Oh, my God. Holy crap. How did this happen? I... uh, I'm running out of time. Just chilling down here in the shelter. Just hanging out with Jack, waiting for Kristen to come back from California, raging about Bizarro World. And I have so much more to get to on this topic, like new products from Campbell's and IHOP that just simply cross the line beyond Bizarro World and go into, I don't even know what world, Ultra Bizarro, Extremo Bizarro, Hyper Bizarro. I guess I'll have to push them to next week's show. It's okay because... It already means I have a topic for next week's show, and it's something to look forward to also, which is awesome. So as I always say down here in the shelter, but have kind of forgotten to sign off with in a really long time, so I'll say it now. If you don't want to eat shit, eat some dirt. No, that's not it. It's if you don't want to eat shit, keep on listening to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food here on Heritage Radio Network with me, Erica Wides, who says, eat some dirt, America. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jack. Thanks to Ben Kaplan for the awesome theme music. See you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.